Good morning. This morning we are reading from Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 9. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. So last week, a few days ago, the CDC made a huge announcement. And then uh, just a couple of days ago, the governor of Maryland made a subsequent announcement. And in the last 36 hours, uh, everybody has been wondering how to approach that news. Some people, some of us are ecstatic. Uh, so yeah, see, there they go. Uh, some of us are hesitant, and many are wondering how to, imply, how to apply the information specifically to their situation, to their job, to their relationships, to their education plan, to what to do with their kids. You know, I, I, I interact with about six different churches in Maryland and in our area yesterday, and every church, almost every church has found a different way to deal with the news of two days ago. Uh, actually, in the immortal words of William Shakespeare, to mask or not to mask? That is the question. How do you recover? How do you recover after an epic struggle? How do you recover after events and tragedies of historic proportion, which we have all lived through in the last year? By no means has the pandemic ended, right? I think we would all agree with that. But it feels like we're beginning to see life beyond it. What wasn't clear six months to a year ago is becoming 
more clear. It's, it's coming into focus. It's easier to start imagining what life, what work, what education, what ministry, what relationships, what vacation might look like on the other side of this. That's exciting. But it also raises more questions that lead to more concern, to more potential disagreement, to more potential conflict. Okay, so, so in the next few weeks, beginning now, we're going to take a look at some biblical guidance for looking beyond COVID. As we all ask ourselves, now what? We're not there yet, but we had better start thinking about it, okay? When the exiled Jews began returning in two or three waves from Babylon and Persia, began returning back to Judah and Jerusalem in the 6th and 5th centuries B.C., after the exiles, they came back decade after decade, wave after wave. You know, life remained a struggle. They endured the shame, humiliation, brokenness of an exile, which really was their own fault. But as God said, I will restore you and bring you back, and so he did, life was still really difficult for them. It was a constant struggle, and they had to rebuild and restore what had been lost. As you read the book of Ezra, uh, you discover that their first major task was to rebuild the temple, which took them about 15 years. And then they started rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, which had been decimated by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians a century, two centuries before. But that, uh, that was actually halted because the neighboring people groups opposed it vehemently and, and uh, worked up a bunch of controversy so that the Persian king of the time, Artaxerxes, ordered an immediate halt to the reconstruction of Jerusalem. He was worried that they were trying to amass some type of a, a revolt against him. So uh, the work to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, although the temple was rebuilt, uh, came to a screeching halt. And by the time Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem from Persia, from Susa, it was 445 B.C., almost a century after the life of Daniel. And by the time Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, it was still as run down and vulnerable as the Babylonians had left it nearly 150 years before. And after several days of being in the city, Nehemiah looked out on the community of Jews uh, with the neighbors listening, and he said to all of them in verse 17 of today's passage, he said to all the Jews in Jerusalem, you see the trouble we're in now, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I think there's something in there for us today. There's something there for us as we begin to look beyond COVID. And I want to communicate to you that in a way it's this, that God is always at work to rebuild and restore what's been broken. And to talk about that, I want to talk about three priorities as we look beyond COVID, three priorities that you can apply in every age and every situation, but especially right now, the priorities of preparation, collaboration, 
and imagination. The priorities for restoration and rebuilding of a thing or of a life or of a, or of a society or of a church that involve preparation, collaboration, and imagination, even that. Now, the priority of preparation for rebuilding something and restoring something is no less important for people of faith. We are not just spiritualistic. We are not of no earthly good because we're too heavenly minded. In the Bible and for the believer in this God of the Bible, preparation is really important because biblical faith is realistic. It is practical and realistic. Being spiritual does, does not mean you, you throw out uh, uh, realism and, and practicality. Nehemiah makes uh, two important distinctions in his speech to the people of Jerusalem. And you notice them in verse 18. He says, uh, while, while he's talking to the Jews, he's, uh, while, while he's, he's recording this, he says, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. He's talking about Artaxerxes. He was cupbearer to the king. That means a trusted chief advisor. He's another Daniel living a century later. That's what Nehemiah is. Um, and so he says, I, I told them of the hand of my God and the words of the king. The hand of my God and the words of the king. And that's interesting. If you read through Nehemiah chapter 1 and then the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 2, you'll discover that from the time that Nehemiah had heard from his brother that Jerusalem was still in shambles, he got on his knees, he wept, he confessed the sins of himself and his family and his people, and, and if you do the math from chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 2, you discover that he was praying for four months before he approached King Artaxerxes. Four months before he comes to the king with a proposal for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He was in prayer for four months. And you see in those four months that he had developed through prayer a proposal that won the king's support. In prayer, God gave him a vision to rebuild the walls, but it was four months of prayerful preparation. And so he arrives in Jerusalem, the 1,500 mile from Susa in Persia to Jerusalem, and he gets there, and listen to how he handles things. People noticed he was there. He had letters from the king of the Persian Empire, the greatest power on earth. So he arrives in Jerusalem, a Jew from the Persian administration, and he records what he did. He says, so I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then, three days, then, I arose in the night, and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. Right? So, so no cavalcade here, just him on his steed. In the dark, at night, nobody knows, just a couple of people that he brought with him. There's no dramatic fanfare here. There's no grand gesture. He examines the wall, which, which historians believe was somewhere between one and three miles uh, of, of a perimeter. He examines it under the cover of night, virtually by himself. He looks at the rubble. He looks at the devastation. He even goes to the dung gate. And then he comes back, 
because he gets to a point where the destruction is so severe that he and his beast can't go further. So he has to double back and, and go back the way he can. He couldn't even circumnavigate the old walls, the old perimeter of Jerusalem. So he does that virtually undercover. You see, true spirituality is not divorced from practicality. Hold on, let me show you one more verse. He says, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest of who were to do the work. Even after four months of prayerful planning and a long journey, he arrives and does nothing for three days. And then he does something, but he does it quietly and simply before he tells everybody what to do. See, he's gathering a plan. He's an outsider and he knows he needs eyes on the situation before he opens his mouth. Spirituality is not divorced from practicality. I hope you see this. Nehemiah was a realist. He was a man of great faith, but he was a realist and he did his homework. He did his homework and prayer before he approached Artaxerxes and then he got to Jerusalem and for three days and one silent night, he did his homework before he stood up and spoke publicly. We see this in the New Testament in Acts chapter 17. The apostle Paul did this very thing. He was raiding around for his friends to arrive in Athens and he spent time walking around and looking around the city. And only after he had explored the religious practices and all the statues of gods, even a, uh, a statue to an unknown god in the city of Athens, only then did he enter into the agora, the marketplace, and began speaking in the marketplace and arguing for Christianity. Eventually, he was heard and he was brought into the famous philosopher's hall, the Areopagus, and he gave a presentation to those philosophers in ancient Greece about Jesus and the good news. And he only did that after doing his homework and examining the city and its belief system and its culture. Actually, some of you will remember, a few of you, the launch team of this church, Deep Run Church's launch team, the eight of us adults, spent almost a year in prayer and study and observing the community, the county, and what was going on here. Almost a year of prayerful preparation and observation before we invited people to our public worship gatherings. So prayer and preparation is what we see him doing. He gained through it the king's favor. He gained through it the favor of the people of Jerusalem, but because first he sought God's favor in prayerful preparation. And then almost miraculously, a wall between one and three miles in circumference was rebuilt in an amazing 52 days, according to Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, I want you to see that this isn't just about a great leader, and he was Nehemiah. He was a great leader. But this is more than a story about a mighty individual. It's also about the priority of collaboration. This is not just about one man and his preparation because he's still one man. As prepared as he was, he's just one man. And so he inspires collaboration in the people. Look at how he puts it in verse 17. He says, you see the trouble we're in. We. You see the trouble we are in. Come, let us build. 
These were seasoned locals he was talking to. He's talking to people who had returned 13 years before when Ezra led them back. Some of them were the children and grandchildren of waves of Jews that had returned a century before. These are the children and grandchildren of people who have been struggling with the reality of looking at a Jerusalem in shambles. Nehemiah is a court official and politician of the mightiest empire on earth, born and bred in Persia, trained and cultured like Daniel before him and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. He's a Jew, absolutely, but he's really not one of them. And yet, he says, look at the trouble we're in. Let us rebuild the walls. You see, he recognized, essentially, this is what he was saying, your trouble is my trouble. That is the gift of a great leader, to be able to say, your trouble is my trouble. This is our trouble. This is our struggle. The solutions need to be ours. The work is ours to do together. And then what was the response he got from these people who had been shot down again and again in verse 18? And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And here's the takeaway for today. You and I must rise up from our solitary silos brought about by the last 14, 16, 18, 24 months and prepare to rebuild together. Whatever it is, this church, relationships, the community, whatever it is, we must rise up from our solitary silos and prayerfully prepare to rebuild in collaboration. As with Nehemiah, it will not happen immediately. It may be months. It may be years. But our marriages, our families, our children, our co-workers, our neighbors, Westminster, this county, and of course this world, all of it, it needs rebuilding. And we have to do it together no matter how prayerful and prepared we are. And the Christian community via prayer through a ministry of prayer is called to prepare and collaborate in order to rebuild and restore what's been lost. There will always be obstacles to this, to rebuilding and restoring what's been broken or lost. We will always face obstacles. Even if we get through the worst of it, we will still, as the Jews did, struggle. God brought them back, and he brought them back to desolation, and they weren't able for decades and centuries to bring things back to the glory days. The struggle continued. Nehemiah faced more than a broken wall. He faced socio-political enemies surrounding his people, right? What does it say in verse 19? When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, the word servant there is derisive. It means he, he thinks he's in the emperor's pocket. He thinks he's in Artaxerxes' pocket. And Geshem, the Arab, when they heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? 
You see, these are governors and chiefs of the surrounding people groups who years before had opposed the Jews. Again, if you read the book of Ezra, these guys had stirred up so much suspicion about what the Jews were doing in Jerusalem that the king, Artaxerxes, halted the reconstruction program. The neighbors got the Persian empire so worried that the Jews were rebuilding that the Persians said, forget it, stop it. We don't want any type of an uprising. We don't want the glory days done. And so the walls remained in shambles, although the temple had been rebuilt. And that was really discouraging. But Nehemiah had successfully persuaded Artaxerxes to reverse his policy. And so here he comes with a letter from the king. He says, king's given me authority to rebuild. And we're told in verse 10, that this displeased the local leaders greatly. The surrounding, uh, sorry, the surrounding leaders greatly. So he faced broken, broken, a broken wall in shambles, and he faced political and cultural adversaries who were against his people prospering. But the Jews faced internal obstacles also. They're not just dealing with a broken wall and enemies surrounding them, as, for more, as formidable as those factors are. They're dealing with internal obstacles. They had lost hope. Past resistance, failure upon failure, they lost hope. And that brings me to the obstacles that you and I may be facing. We've all been talking about all the external obstacles. Just look, read the news. What are the internal obstacles that we face because of time, I'm just going to mention two, indifference and fear. Let's start there. Indifference. Are you so discouraged or pessimistic or self-focused over what's happened in the past year and a half that, that you can't see beyond yourself or your family or your people group? You can't see beyond your own needs. Have you become self-focused? Have you become indifferent or apathetic to what's going around because you're just, what's going on because you're just tired and frustrated? Indifference. Or fear. Are you so worried about the dangers and, and the risks of moving forward that you've paralyzed yourself? You are disabled from contributing. I can't tell you. You have to ask. Are you struggling with indifference or are you struggling with fear? Another way of saying these things is, are you unwilling to serve outside of yourself because of what's happened or are you unwilling to trust God with what's happening outside of yourself because of what's happened? Jesus' response to this mentality, because he had all sorts of people who wanted to follow him and they would say things like, hey, let me go deal with the family business before I follow you. And Jesus <laughs> said these really controversial things. <laughs> and one of them was, he said in response to somebody who said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me take care of the family business first. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He meant, if there's something you love more, and whether it's fear that drives you towards that love or whether it is indifference that drives you toward that love or whatever it is, you're not going to make it with me. People have a knack for building walls against the work that God has for them. 
where Pink Floyd was right. We're really good at building brick upon brick. And then we have discovered that we've isolated ourselves from everybody else because of our trauma, because of our tragedy. But what we've really done, my friends, is we've isolated ourselves from our Creator. This is what we do. This is the best type of building we do. We don't even need to go to engineering school to accomplish this. We don't need preparation. We don't need collaboration. Brick upon brick, we separate ourselves from God. But there's another priority that I think is really beautiful. I've talked about Nehemiah and his preparation and how he gathered the Jews in collaboration. But, but there's this other thing that I want to call imagination. That's the priority for those who have walled themselves off from faithful preparation in God's name and courageous collaboration with his people for the sake of the world. It's an imagination, and I don't mean fairy tale stuff. I don't mean wishful thinking or mystical ideas, you know, positive thinking. I, I don't mean that. I, I mean real, God-given, God-sanctioned imagination. The ability to see beyond what is directly before you or behind you. Because that's kind of what we're doing right now. We see what's right in front of us and we're thinking about everything that's behind us over the last year or two. All the Jews saw when Nehemiah approached them, all they saw was a ruined wall and burned down gates and lots of enemies who didn't want them there. But in verse 20, Nehemiah responds to the enemies who were very powerful governors and he says to them, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. That was enough for Nehemiah. And that really is what faith is when the Bible talks about faith. It's, it's having an imagination rooted in God's promises. Faith is ultimately an imagination, being able to see beyond what's right in front of you because the Lord tells you what he plans to do. And you say yes to his promises. The God of heaven will make us prosper. Um, the, uh, the author and illustrator, Sean Rubin, I, I'm always proud of the fact that Sean Rubin designed uh, our church's logo. Uh, but in his latest book uh, called This Very Tree, uh, it tells the story of the survivor tree um, at Ground Zero in New York City. So, so there was a colliery pear tree, a Bradford pear tree, just common stock, you know, the ones you see in every neighborhood. They're the, the ones that the builders plant because they grow fast. But if, if, you go to, if you go to the 9-11 memorial today at the World Trade Center in, in New York City, uh, in the middle of this beautiful glade of trees that have been planted there over the last, can you believe it's going to be the 20th anniversary this fall of 9-11? There's a beautiful grove of trees there in between the imprints of, of, of the two fallen towers, but in the middle of them, there's this little pear tree, and it blossoms. It's the first tree to blossom. But it, it, it was crushed when the buildings fell. And, and, and in the process of cleaning up the mess, they found this broken, crushed pear tree, and they discovered that it was still alive. Buried beneath all of that ash and steel, there was a living tree. And they took it, and they, 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 they brought it to the Bronx, I think. And, 
and they put it in a nursery, and for years, they, they cultivated it. Uh, for years, they just, they just let it slowly grow while, while the world, while the society was rebuilding and the city was rebuilding and they were, they were building new towers in, in, in the place of the old ones. This tree was slowly, was slowly growing back until a point where they replanted it. And you can go there today. In the midst of all of that memorial, there's this tree that survived all of that destruction. And that's, uh, that, that is that recovery and restoration, that, that destruction, recovery, and restoration pro- progress, process is what I'm trying to say biblical imagination is. Somebody saw that beyond the rubble and the devastation, that plant had a future. And that's what Nehemiah saw. And that's what by faith I'm encouraging you to see is use your God-given imagination by the Spirit of God in you and the Word of God with you and see that God has plans for the future. We've lost a lot. We've lost people. We've lost relationships in the last year. We've lost our health. And I dare say, many of us have lost our confidence. Some of you have none of it. That's what's before us. And that's clearly everything that's behind us. But God sees more. God has a marvelous imagination. But his imagination is not based in wishful thinking. It's based in certainty. See, God not only sees what is possible, he sees what is planned because he's planned it. He sees what is certain. He takes what's crushed and broken and he rehabilitates it, rehabilitates it. What does Matthew chapter 12, taken from Isaiah 42, say about the powerful creator, the son of God, who became a a human being? What does it say about Jesus? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. That's the God of the universe. Are you broken? Have you lost it? Are you discouraged? Are you indifferent? Are you pessimistic? Are you scared? Let's just admit it. Fine. Good. Okay. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. He sees you under the rubble and the heat and the ash. And he says... I've got plans for you. You see, you as a spiritual family, God says, I've got plans for you. The world thinks you're broken and that you're done, but I know where you're headed. I know where you're headed, and I will make you prosper. The Son of God, by taking on human flesh and suffering and dying on a Roman cross, is saying to us, your trouble is my trouble. It's our trouble. God, in his imagination, planned to suffer because you were worth restoring. What the world sees as a stump, he sees as something that is going to be beautiful. And you may not be ready to see that, but he sees it. So hang on. He is calling you to restore and to rebuild.
and you'll get your imagination back. You'll get it back. You'll get it back as you look at a risen Jesus who lives and and who stands over all of this and sees it. Because the resurrection is proof that God cares about this broken physical world and our lives and our relationships, and he's coming back to restore it all. He is at work. He is always and has always been at work to rebuild and restore what is broken, even you, even us. The heart of God is to inspire and to heal and to empower us for his purposes, that's the key, for his purposes. That's what four months of prayer and careful planning and travel and observation brought Nehemiah and the Jews to see, that he was preparing them to restore and build according to his purposes. So let's rise up from our solitary silos and prepare to rebuild together. And whatever that looks like, we've all got something that needs fixing. Let's not do it on our own. Let's pray. Father, thank you for believing when we do not. Thank you for always having a plan even when we look before us and see nothing or all we can see is destruction, is discouragement, is animosity, is division. Father, thank you that you are, you, you are like a child. You are full of energy and joy because you know the future. You know what you're planning. Father, we've become weak and scared and discouraged. And even if we're excited, Father, we're impatient for the people who, who, who don't want to move forward. Father, we're all over the place. Some of us want to go at 120 miles per hour, and some, some of us can barely move forward at all. Wherever we're at, Father, Give us, give us your perspective and, and unite us. Bring us together to rebuild and restore and keep our eyes on our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.